love of the brethren, fervent one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I again just thank you for all that you have written and given us in your word, for the revelation of yourself and your will for us. And we again, Lord, just want your work to be done in our hearts through your word and by your spirit. So work in us, God, that that we would give our amen to all that you have said and that we would trust you and you alone, Father, for you to accomplish in us everything that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, I tell you, um, this is a passage on love, and it is a hard subject to speak on. I'm aware that when Jesus says that, that a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, and when Paul wrote to the Romans and said, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, There is no probably easier way to heap condemnation on people than to tell them that they don't love as well as they should. Because it's true. And we will will spend our lives learning to love and learning to love as God loves us. We all fall short in this area. And so to preach on love um, is difficult. I'm thankful that Peter is the one who talks about this. Because you remember, Peter is the guy who professed his love for Jesus and then promptly denied him three times. And he told Jesus, I love you enough to die for you. And Jesus goes, oh, really? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, he did. And then after Jesus rose from the dead and he talked to Peter on the, on the seashore there at, the, at Lake Galilee, Jesus said to him three times, Peter, do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times. And on the third time, it says that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him again, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. But he didn't make any more claims that I will die for you. That was still wrong. And Peter understood that we can overestimate our love for the Lord. And we often fail, not only the Lord Jesus, but each other in our love for each other. So this is a hard passage. And and I'm, I'm thankful, though, that prior to this passage, we were also told that we have to be holy as God himself is holy. I can no more be holy as God is than I can love as God does. These are impossible things apart from God's activity within us. So I want to, before we we jump into um, verse 22 and the other verses I read, I just want to backtrack a little bit and remind you of what Peter has been saying in this first chapter. 
And it seems to be he starts out by emphasizing faith, and then hope, and now love. So he talks about the faith of these people, and he wants to encourage them in their faith, reminding them that God intends trial to bring us into greater identification with Jesus through obedience to him. Christ suffered, and we also will suffer. He wants to remind them that God supplies all the grace and the peace necessary for going through the trials and tribulation that we go through. And he reminds them that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a hope that never dies. No matter what the circumstances are, as hopeless as things may seem, we have a hope that never dies because it's based in Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead never to die again. It is a hope that lives through anything. It is a hope that results in an inheritance in heaven as we continue to trust in Him. It is a hope that inspires great rejoicing no matter what the circumstances are. It is a hope that motivates having our minds girded for action, spirits that are sober, and personal holiness. Not being conformed to our former lust, but being holy as God is holy. And it is a hope that is based upon the knowledge that we were redeemed, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. Having said those things, now Peter says in verse 22, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So I just want to just unpack this a little bit and, and just to bring out some of the things that are here. And, and I would just, again, speaking about love, again, it is so easy to, to just point the finger and say, you need to love better than you do. Um, I, right now, there's, I've got this hearing thing going on because last week um, I had a gun go off near my head. And, um, and so my hearing is not doing real well on my right ear, my left ear, which was my good ear. Um, now it's not the case anymore. But when I'm, when I'm hearing certain frequencies, like the singing and things, it sounds like there's a broken speaker. And so I first realized that last week during our, some of our things in the, in the chapel up at His Hill, I'm going, why do we have this broken speaker? We just spent all this money for new speakers. And, and I'm hearing this broken speaker. Well, it's not the broken speaker. It's my ear. My eardrum's not doing real well. And that's a lot like love is. You know, we're always, it's so easy just to point the finger and say, what is wrong with you? Why don't you love better? And we're seeing everybody else is having the problem, and we're not seeing the problem that we have ourselves. And so just some principles here about loving fervently from the heart, because that's the admonition here. Fervently love one another from the heart. The first thing that Peter says, though, is since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. The first principle here is that there is this, this inseparable connection between love and obedience to God's word. Who would have thought because we would think that love is about just, just getting your emotions lined up and, and making the choice because love is a choice. And we've heard so many sermons about that. Amen, it is a choice. And it's not just about emotions. It's just choosing to love. 
But we fail to see that you cannot love as God has intended and not live in a right relationship with God through His Word. Just hold your finger here and go over to 1 John chapter 5. This is an amazing passage as well. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we always have happy thoughts about them. Now I know I love them. Every time I see you, I smile, and I never think about the bad stuff that you've done. I'm just forgetful of every wrong thing that's ever happened. That's how I know we love the children of God. No. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God. Okay. And observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So see what he's saying here? There's a direct correlation. How do I know that I'm loving you? I'm loving God. And I'm being obedient to what he says. Because you see, and so you cannot, as it were, you cannot claim to love God and be disobedient to the word of God. And you can't really love other people while living in disobedience to God and his word. And so Peter is showing the same connection. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls, because you can't love without a pure soul. Because pure love, God's love, is not a selfish love. That's the antithesis of love. This true love is oriented toward the other person and not toward self. Well, that means my soul has to be purified from self-centeredness, from thinking everything is about me. Why aren't you loving me the way I'm supposed to be loved? You have not loved me like I need to be loved. It never comes to an end. That is a debt that is never fulfilled. So amen. Let's just get it over with. None of us love others perfectly. It is always an unfulfilled love. But the real issue is, What is the status of my own soul? And if I'm constantly thinking about other people's failure toward loving me as I think I need to be loved, my soul is not purified. Because a pure soul is not thinking about itself. See, that's the soul of sin. That's the soul that we were born with that can only think about its own ways, its own needs. And my needs aren't being met. And it's just a craven, lustful soul. But we've been born again. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our souls have been purified from all that stuff. And how did that happen? We heard God's word. And we responded in faith to what God was saying. It's a faith obedience The Lord says, believe and you shall be saved. And we believed the word of God and we were saved. And our souls were purified from that self-centered obsession. And then, because we have souls that have been purified by the word of God and obedience to God's word, we can love. And love sincerely. Without hypocrisy, a sincere love is a pure love, it's a love that is not hypocritical. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. It's amazing. 
Just place your faith in Christ in accordance with the word of God, and God cleanses your souls. And it says, we did it. It says, we did it, but we didn't. We simply believed in obedience to the truth what God has said, and our souls were purified. Purified for what? For love. Sincere, unhypocritical love. What's a hypocritical love? It's a love that loves for what we can get. It's a love that, again, is more focused on self, more focused on getting and receiving than it is on giving. It's a love that is counting all the time transgressions and thinking, you know, this is what I need to do to get love, or this is how far I can go and I can't go any further. A sincere love is without guile. It's without pretense. There's nothing fake about it. It's just simply true. And then he says, fervently love one another from the heart. The word fervent is not used a lot of times in the New Testament. We're, all, we're, we're told to, to fervently love one another. We're told to pray fervently. There's a few times it's used, but it's really kind of a hard word to translate. But it seems to come out of the idea of, of stress and strain. So it's a love that is out of stress and strain. So in other words, we won't have to fervently love in heaven because there'll be no stress and strain. But right now is our opportunity to learn to love in the stress and strain of relationships. Won't it be good when the stress and strain of relationships will be over? Man, we look forward to that. And we're all going to like each other. We're all going to be nice to each other all the time. We're not going to be thinking about ourselves. It's just going to be wonderful. I look forward to heaven. When all the mess of broken relationships and the stress and strain of life is just gone. But right now, it's not gone. And life is hard. And there is stress and strain in every single relationship. And Peter's realistic about that. And this is why he uses that word fervently. In the stress and strain, out of the stress and strain, love one another from the heart. Love, we know, Christian, true Christian love, God's love is not just a sentimental, romantic love. Every time I make that statement, I don't know why, but I, keep, I always think back to the, one of the times we used to have um, Valentine's Day banquets here at the church. And the men would barbecue chicken and, and um, we would have a little banquet here for our wives and and so occasionally somebody would get up and, and give a little poem that they had written to their wife. And so I remember two of the old, old faithfuls here in Mossbacks in the church. They're both with the Lord now, Tom Surtees and Fred Ott. And, and Tom was actually a pretty eloquent guy. And he stood up one time and gave this really amazing poem that he had written for his wife. And we were, all the skies were just going, thanks a lot, Tom. That really makes us look bad. <laughs> I mean, it was just awful. I mean, it was so good, it was just awful. And, and, and so thankfully, after that, Fred got up. And we all felt better about ourselves after Fred got up. Because Fred, this old guy, his poem was, Roses are red, violets are blue, doobie-doo, I love you. <laughs> and I go, that was great. 
right, thank you, Fred. But that was his poem. Roses are red, violets are blue, doobie-doo, I love you. And he sat out. But that's not, I mean, sure, love, again, the reason that, that we think of romantic love is because romantic love is thinking about the other person. When this guy who typically never thinks anything about except the food that he's going to eat takes the time to buy a rose for his sweetheart, to write a note, to come up with a poem, and the woman is just going, unbelievable. He's actually thinking about something other than himself. And that is love, to think and choose for the other person. But this from the heart, it's, it's a love that is, is, it is not even sentimental love. And when you really think about it, from the heart, when something is from the heart, it's not a choice, is it? It's natural. Now, we know love is a choice, and, and we, we rightly emphasize that. Even when you don't feel like it, you need to choose to love. Amen. But that's not what he's talking about here either. He's not talking about purely sentimental emotion, and he's not talking about pure intellectual choice. From the heart. That's God's love. God loves us, not sentimentally, and not just pure, undetached volition. But God loves you and me from the heart. And we have his heart. And when we love one another as God is wanting to love in and through us, it truly comes from the heart. This kind of love will surprise you. Because naturally, you wouldn't still be loving. But it still is coming up in your heart. My older brother used to pick on me. He was just mean sometimes. Four and a half years older than me, so that seemed like an eternity, and, and much bigger than, than, than I was. And, and you know, and he, he could just be so stinking mean to me, and I could be so mad at him, and yet it still there was love in my heart for him. And sometimes I was mad at myself because I didn't want to love him. What's wrong with me? I still love him after what he did to me. But I did. It was an unquenchable love. It just wouldn't die. The psychologist would say that you're just somehow codependent. God would say, that is the nature of my love. It will not die. No matter what the strain, no matter what the stress, it continues. We know what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about love. Love is patient. Love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails." Any of you feeling good about yourself after hearing that? I don't. But I'm telling you, I read those verses and I'm going, 
This is God. This is his nature, this is his heart, and this is what he has put in us. And I can either love from my heart, or I can love from his heart. And we know when we are. One of the indications that we are yielded to him and allowing his word to have its way in our hearts and lives is that our love supernaturally doesn't end. It doesn't stop. No matter what the abuse has taken place, we still, for reasons that we cannot explain, love. It's miraculous. It is the love of God. It's not counting wrongs. It's not storing up everything that's happened. It does not fail. It endures all things. It is from the heart. You can't choose that kind of love. You can't make emotionally that kind of love happen. But the love of God, Scripture says, has been poured out within our hearts that it might spring up within us. I can't do that. You can't. And and my, and my responsibility before the Lord is not to look at you and see whether you're loving me that way. My responsibility is to let the Lord examine me and see, is this how God is loving you through me? Without fail, no matter what happens, I still love you. Because that's how God loves. Is it any wonder then that, that he makes again this connection to the word of God? So in verse 23, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, because see, there is a perishable love. And there is an imperishable love. He's talking about a love that doesn't come to an end. And now he's relating that back to the word of God. You have been born again. You have an imperishable seed within you. You have been born again of seed which, which which is imperishable and not perishable. When we came into this natural life through Adam... We were born of a seed which is perishable. The life that we inherited from Adam is a life that comes to an end. We are all going to die. But the life that we have in Christ is a life that does not come to an end. So when we were born again through faith in what God has said through his word, we were born again never to die. So there is this imperishable, this, this, this uh, unfailing, eternal life within us. And what is true of God's life is also true of God's love, because God is love. And how can I claim to be loving as God loves and give up on people and walk away and say, that's it, no more, it's over? Because we all get to that point, but God never does. His love is as eternal and abiding and imperishable as His Word is. And God's Word is eternal. It abides forever, and it will never fail. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. In my flesh, I'm going to die. And everything that characterizes my flesh is going to come to an end, including my love. My love has an end. 
so does yours. In God's love, there is no end to it. The word of the Lord abides forever. And so does God's love. And this is the word which was preached to you. His connection. What is true of God's word is true of God's love. And what is true of God and his word, he expects to be true of you and me. This is why we are to be holy as he is holy. And we are to love as God loves. It is supernatural. We cannot do this in our own strength. We will fail. No matter how great the civilization or the empire, they will all fail. Because they are built by men for the glory of men. And they will all pass away. But that which God does will never fail. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, those are the things that would mitigate against love. They are uncharacteristic of the love of God. Malice is wicked ill will. It's a, it, isn't it amazing how true these things are of we Christians? It's easy again to look at unbelievers and see these things, but the, but the shocking thing is when we can look at ourselves and see these things. Malice. We've, we, so much wrong has been done to us, now we're thinking of getting even. Ill will. You know what I'm talking about. Ill will. And then guile or deceit, which is deliberate dishonesty, cunning and craftiness, manipulations. And we know we see this, where people are saying the right things, acting in the right way, but it's just a veil for the true intention of their hearts. And it's so that they can get what they want. And it's a deceitful, guiling type of love. Putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretended love. Envy. Bill Bushhouse gave excellent messages this last week at his hill on contentment, which are especially powerful coming from a man who's been in a wheelchair since he was 19. Envy has as its root discontent. Ingratitude. I'm not happy with what I have. I want what you have. It's displeasure when others have blessing and prosperity. We cannot rejoice with them. And slander. Unbelievable. When Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the very blood of Christ. And we slander one another. Who do we think we are? Backbiting lies. Speech that degrades another person. Put it aside. It is not true of God's love and God's heart. 
And then once again, bringing us back to the Word of God, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It is the pure milk of the Word which purifies our souls. And again, it's not magical. It's not like I can just read God's Word and I'm purified, but it's the eating of God's Word. It's the absorbing of it by faith. It's the responding in obedience to what the Lord has said. And God cleanses us. Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them in truth, O Lord, thy word is truth. How do I get a purified soul? Responding in faith, obedience to the word of God. Not just reading it and hoping something magical happens to me. But reading it before God and saying, God, wash me and cleanse me with the truth of what you're saying here. And he does that you may grow and not stagnate in respect to salvation if, and you have, tasted the kindness of your Lord. God has been so good to us. He has saved us from a vile, conceited, self-absorbed life by his love for us. And now he lives in us to love others through us as he himself loves, that it would be him doing it. So just to make some observations, to wrap it up, some summary statements here. God's love, when God is loving through us, it is sincere. It is fervent. It endures the strain and the stress of relationships. It is from the heart. It is not simply a choice. It is not simply emotion but it wells up from within, from the heart. And it never fails, never comes to an end. My love, on the other hand, is insincere. I will love based upon what I can get and, not on what, and I will take into account how much it's costing. My love is fickle. My love will be all emotion or all choice and doesn't spring up spontaneously from within due to God who has shed his love abroad in our hearts. And my love is temporal and corruptible. How do we love? What is the source of loving as God loves? A purified heart and a heart made pure by God through an obedient faith to what he has said in his word. The purpose of God purifying our soul is not just to take away our sin, but that we might be able to love apart from self-centered focus. The purpose of God's purifying of the soul is that we would love as God loves. The effect of an unpurified soul, a soul that is not being bathed and washed and cleansed by the word of God, is a lack of love. The means to purity is obedient faith to the word of God. Fervent love or a failing love. Those are the choices. God's love or our love. And I want to make the point, and it's important to do so, especially after talking about a love that does not fail no matter how much it is taken advantage of, no matter how much hurt and abuse that we suffer. God's love doesn't die any more than God can die. 
but it does separate itself from those who will not respond. There comes a time, I believe, that God loves those who go to hell. His love never ceases. He loves all. He loves those who are going to be burning in the lake of fire as much as he loves you and me. He gave his son for all. But that doesn't mean that he enters into relationship with all. God breaks fellowship, really in response to our breaking fellowship with him. It's a hard thing to reconcile. But I do believe there comes a time in relationships where our love has not failed, but the relationship cannot continue. There has to be distance. We still love. And it breaks our hearts that the relationship has to change. But I see constantly in God's word where God is distancing himself until people turn from their sin and turn back to him in faith and the relationship is restored. He never stopped loving. Sometimes people run from us and you cannot chase them down and love them. The prodigal son ran from his father And the father did not run after him. You can't always chase people down. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have. And the man walked away grieved because he didn't want to do it. And Jesus was grieved because he loved the man. And Jesus didn't run after him and say, let's change the standard. Sometimes people run away from us and we can't run after them. And sometimes we have to separate ourselves from those that we love. But the love doesn't fail. Paul said to the man that was in an immoral relationship with his stepmother, Paul said to the church, you must separate yourselves from this man. The damage, the potential damage that he can do to your fellowship has to be considered ahead of the man himself. The man has to go. But Paul still loved that man. And somehow, some way, Paul heard that that man had turned from his sin, and Paul was the one who said, bring him back into the fellowship. The love never failed. The word of God purifies the soul and prepares it and makes it possible for this love to take place, for God's love. And finally, he says, love one another. Love the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. This kind of love is not perfectly fulfilled until it is mutual and reciprocal. And that is not in our power to accomplish. I cannot love this way in my own strength, and I cannot accomplish a reciprocal love. I have one responsibility, and that is to respond to what God has said in faith and obedience as it concerns me. My responsibility is to love as God loves, and I cannot do that apart from Him. But my prayer is that we would each love that way. But I can't make another person love the way 
that God loves. And I cannot demand it. But it certainly is my prayer. And when it is reciprocal, when it is fully expressed, one person to the other, then God's love is fulfilled. I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, I do thank you so much for your love for us. Heavenly Father, that you are presently continuing to demonstrate your love for us and that you gave your Son to die for us. God is love. And your love, O oh God, is nothing like ours. We cannot reach up for it. We cannot reproduce it. We can't imitate it. You have to live in us and live through us, displaying, God, what is not natural to our humanity apart from you. It is supernatural. And we thank you, God, that we have been born again from above, that we have a living hope, that we have been born not by a corruptible seed, but by what is incorruptible and eternal. And that the living God lives in us to be holy and to love. We are not adequate for these things in ourselves, but you have made us adequate through your indwelling spirit in the new covenant that you have brought us into. Thank you, God, for this. I pray, God, that you would just encourage our hearts that when we are aware of our failure to love, that we would not step into condemnation, but that we would step toward Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for letting me see again that I fall short. This is an opportunity for you to be yourself in me as only you can be. Thank you that you are sufficient for this. We thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that we would not underestimate the power of your word as we respond to you in faith and obedience to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to purify our souls, that you would be free, God, to love through us as we've been saved for. Keep us, God, in your word, that we would love one another from the heart in the stress and strain of life. In Jesus' name, amen.